0: from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York I'm Mayor Weingarten welcome to the Israel show on the nachum Siegel network
1: 24 <laughs> But the world is not the same, and the world is 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 the same, and the world the 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 fuse is all, the Refim, I have no, 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 I have no,
0: Tommy Kleinstein, Yom Shiloh Yachzar opens up this edition of the Israel Show, number two for Tavshin Ayin Chet. Welcome one and all, welcome in to this, uh, to this uh, show, the Israel Show. We are on each and every Monday, immediately following JM and the AM, 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time that we're on for you. And... Of course, on demand, tell others, tell others, spread the word, spread the good news about the Nachum Siegel Network in general, the uh, com stream, and the Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free, and you can listen to the shows live, you can listen to the network live, and then you can listen whenever you feel like it, on demand, to the shows that you want to hear from the network. There's so many great shows, and ours is one of them. And we're very proud of it. And you just go to the archives, both on the app and on the uh, website, com. And you look for The Israel Show. And almost, almost five years' worth of shows are right there at your fingertips. But, you know, let's start off with this week's show. <laughs> and I thought of that song, Yom Shaloh Zor, by Rami Klanschen. It's about making the best of the day. This day isn't coming back. I thought it... it uh, it's it's like a Yom Kippur kind of message, in two ways. One, Yom Kippur is a day that doesn't come back. This year's Yom Kippur, you gotta utilize it to the best of your ability and get the most out of it because it's a day and then it's gone. And then every day afterwards, hopefully, we've um, after doing the the accounting of our own life, the Cheshbon HaNefesh. Hopefully we realize that every day after Yom Kippur and until next Yom Kippur is also a Yom Shiloyazo. is a day that passes and will never come back. So let's make the most and the best of it. We have an unbelievable story about a um, Holocaust survivor. She was one of uh, of two. She's a twin. A victim of Mengele's torture and experiments, quote-unquote, human experiments. we It was just so shocking to me. We we had spent um, two shows talking about the hunt for Mengele, Mossad's hunting for Mengele after they caught Eichmann. And, and for years and decades, they're on, on again, off again. And uh, unbeknownst to me until recently, two weeks ago... Literally, two weeks ago, this video comes out, it it goes viral, it has uh, over three and a quarter million views on YouTube, and this Holocaust survivor, uh, so well-spoken, wow, tells about her experiences, and then she reveals something which, to me, was shocking. I still don't know how to deal with it. I still don't know. So I'm going to put it out to everybody, and, um, you know, we can all think about it and, and see what we feel about it. Uh, we're going to do that later on. We have other stuff for you that uh, it's worthwhile sticking around for. Don't go away, don't go away, don't go away, don't go away. This is really cool. And great music. Uh, we'll start with Yoni Genut, Bitsetti Yisrael Elmi Mitzrayim. This is off his album, it, uh is It um, is it's a portend of the upcoming holidays. We were going to holiday where we say Hallel. Every single day we say Halel during Sukkot. It's a, one of the most joyous holidays, or the, probably the most joyous holiday on our calendar. Here it is. Yoni Genut, My name is Mayor Weingart, and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
2: צֶדֶשׁ יִשְׂרָאֵל מִמִצְרַיִם בֵּית יַעֲקֹב
0: Yoni Genut, one of our favorites with original music off his album Outla Out. That was his first album, I believe. He has one since then called The um, Berilai Adamit, which we've played lots of stuff off of. We've played this stuff and got out of it. So um, I, I was um, walking in uh, Brooklyn, on Yom Kippur to Mincha and I, I couldn't help but over here uh, a mother and a daughter who were walking right, right next to me on the street and the daughter asked the mother do buses run in Israel on Shabbat? and her mother answered I know in Yerushalayim they don't I don't know about the rest of the country and I said to myself, I, I have to, I mean, it's not polite, really, it's sort of like showing that you were eavesdropping on someone else. But but I felt like I had, I really had no choice. So I said, I'm sorry, um, I, I couldn't help but hear you. And the answer is that everywhere but in Haifa, there uh, is no bus, uh, official, official bus service on Shabbat. And they said, thank you very much, and... Uh, and I explained why not, and so forth, whatever. And they they went their way, I went, and then I said, wait a second, what, did they mean Shabbat or Yom Kippur? So I, I sort of like ran across the street to catch them, and I said, you meant regular Shabbat, right? Not Yom Kippur. And they said, yes, yes. I, I said, because on Yom Kippur, everything shuts down in Israel, everything, the airport, The international airport is closed from about 2 o'clock on Erev Yom Kippur till after Yom Kippur. Everything shuts down. Nobody goes out with a car. It's just one of the most awesome experiences that one can have. And people that are not observant, to whom Yom Kippur, and this is a minority, small minority, I think, to whom Yom Kippur is meaningless still would not get in a car and drive down the street. That's just the way it is in Israel, on Yom Kippur. And, you know, I, I I think a lot of you have read this, and uh, I think it's important to point out, that Israelis who are feel that they're representatives of the Jewish state, um... that are outside of the country, mainly over the history, have whatever obligations they had, they put it aside for Yom Kippur. There was one soccer player who didn't do so, and I remember at the time, it wasn't on this air, it was many years ago, but I remember at the time I I had a segment, a weekly segment on Reshet Bet, and and I really called him out on it. Um, But mostly... The athletes, performers, whoever in Israel, will not be out there on Yom Kippur. And here's the story of Dudi Sela, who is um, a 32-year-old Israeli. He's ranked number 77 in the world. That's a lot of people in the world, so 77 ain't so bad, in tennis. And he was playing um, this tennis tournament, ATP Tour it's called. He was in the quarterfinals. And um, the match that was to take place in China was going to happen on Yom Kippur. He asked that they start early. But at the end of the day, um, the the game was getting... he was really more or less the start of the game and, and, and it was getting... Sunset was getting close. And so... Dudi Sela, who is not a religious person, calls himself a secular person. But I don't think you can, I mean, just think about it. He says, I'm not a religious person. And, and here he is stopping for, for Yom Kippur. So he has something about him that is religious. Let's let's just uh, be clear about that. That's, that's the idea that we say there are no secular Jews in Israel. So Dudi Sela walked off the court. He walked off the court, and had he won that game, and not had he not walked off and won, he would have made an additional $12,000. And his ranking would have gone up. So he gave up $12,000, and his place in the ranking, because it went down, it says here, from where I'm reading, I think it's the Jerusalem Post, at least 45 ranking points. And he gave all of that up in order to. Um, he gave all of that up in order to be able to um, observe Yom Kippur. I don't even know if he fasted. That's not even the issue. Actually, his brother said he doesn't usually fast on Yom Kippur, but he had to make a decision as an Israeli who's representing the state of Israel. And this, that's the decision he made. And that's amazing. And here's another one. We, I think, many of us or almost all of our listeners know the name Omri Kaspi. He is the only Israeli in the in, playing in the NBA. He's in the uh, goal, He's on the Golden State Warriors, and he was set to make his present preseason debut against the Denver Nuggets. He sat out the game due to Yom Kippur. I, I'm not a big expert on basketball. I would assume. That a preseason debut means it's, it's like um, these like practice games, not not real league games. But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he had to make a decision. That's the decision he made. I mean, in America, all of us think of um, Sandy Koufax and his decision not to pitch on Yom Kippur during the World Series. Um, that takes a lot of guts. It took even more guts back in the day of uh, Sandy Koufax. But even today, to do these things... Takes a lot of guts, and in the case of Dudi where he gave up a lot of money, is is to be commended, and uh, and I think this is true for for most Israelis. Now, those who want to be critical will say, "Well, Yom Kippur, it's only one day. What about all the rest of the year? Shabbat, Shabbat's really holier than Yom Kippur." You know, we we have to start somewhere. The, these uh, these are processes that take a long time. The truth is that on Shabbat, where in Israel it used to be that that was the day for playing soccer, number a number of the soccer players in Israel have uh, have returned to their roots and refuse to play on Shabbat. And ultimately, what will happen? They'll be forced to change the day or the timing of the of the games of soccer not just to accommodate Shabbat so to speak the holiness Shabbat the the owners don't necessarily care that much about that but they'll have to do it to make the game work to accommodate those players who don't want to play on Shabbat and 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 the fans who don't want to come out on Shabbat so we are amidst an amazing process and um Yom Kippur I think is just a, a small taste of what in, in may, maybe in several generations it'll take um the typical Shabbat might look like in Israel. Uh coming up, the amazing story of Eva Moses Kore, eighty three years old, released a video about her her victimhood, I guess, but really her experiences in the Holocaust under the hands of Mengele, Joseph Mengele, who we've spoken about recently, and her shocking conclusion at the end of that video, we're going to share it with you and, and let you decide what you think about it because I'm not really 100% sure what I think about it yet. Okay, here's Yair Levy with Minagin off the album Shuvlin Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
1: لو نفجشناك قكيت لي بصل جونجلينج Lua في Exactly, it's <laughs>
2: I'm y la la
0: Yair Levy, that is one talented dude. (laughs) Yair Levy, uh, new album, relatively new, Shuvlin Shom. He is, um, I think, a real bright star on the uh, Israeli scene, music scene. And um, spent um, quite a number of years in the army in one of the elite forces. And now he's dedicating uh, himself to his music. And uh, is doing a great job. The album is Shuvelin Chom. That was Min again, your yeah, Levy. You could check it out. We will, um, of course, we will post the links, the website links to each of the songs that we're playing during the show on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/theIsraelShow. And we thank you all for commenting and liking and the activity that you. Uh, have on have been um, exhibiting on the Facebook page. Thank you all so much for that. It's really, uh, it, it, it's booming. It's booming. We're, we're a few hundred likes further than we were like two months ago. So thank you all. And sh- spread the word and share and tell your friends and all that other stuff. Okay. Ava and her sister Miriam were 10 years old. When they were brought from Romania to Auschwitz, twins, they became victims of, uh, of Mengele, of his uh, evil experiments that he used on these human guinea pigs, basically. We spoke about Mengele, it's, it's such an interesting confluence of events. We had just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, spoken at length about the hunt for Mengele after the Holocaust by the Israeli Mossad, how they never were able to find him alive, how his son and other family members did everything they could to hide his location and to continue sending him money, this evil angel of death, that's what they called him, angel of death, this evil angel of death. And how ultimately he died of a stroke while he was um, swimming. And friends that were with him brought him to shore, buried him. Years later, it, they were able to ascertain that that was in fact the body of Mengele. It was buried, of course, under an assumed name. And here it is on September fifteenth, twenty 2017, two weeks ago. Eva Moses Kor released a video about her struggles via YouTube, and since then, during the last two weeks, it went viral. 325 000, more than more than 325,000 people have seen it. We've edited; it's a 15-minute video, and it's compelling. And uh, I encourage you to see it because it's also thought thought-provoking. I'm going to just we're going to end up bringing you a total of three minutes of it. But to, to me, this was the the crux, the essence of of the message that she had. And uh, I did. I I was shocked. I was stunned. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I'm going to share it with the listeners, and um, you all can think about how you deal with it. I'm just I'm going to bring up the the topic, and um, each one of you can discuss it. Bring it to your families. Think what you think about it. One thing I'm not doing, I'm not judging. She's a Holocaust survivor, I'm not judging anything that she's doing. They went through hell and back, and now in her 80s. She's released this video. So here is the beginning. We're going to play the beginning uh, of the video in which she basically introduces herself, her family, how they uh, arrived to Auschwitz in the cattle cars, the famous cattle cars, and then the selectia that takes place as the Jews come out of the cattle cars onto that big platform in Auschwitz.
3: I was born... In 1934, one of a pair of twins. We lived in a very small village in Transylvania, Romania. We got down from the cattle car. People were selected to live or to die. People crying, pushing, shoving, dogs barking, trying to make some sense of that place. And Nazi was running in the middle of that selection platform, yelling in German, Twins, twins, he noticed us and demanded to know if we were twins. And my mother asked, is that good? And the Nazi said yes. My mother said yes. At that moment, another Nazi came, pulled my mother to the right. We were pulled to the left. We were crying. She was crying. And all that took 30 minutes from the time we got down from the cattle car and my whole family was gone. Only Miriam and I were left holding hands and crying. We were Mengele twins, which we found out later on what that meant. Mangala would count us every morning, and he wanted to know how many guinea pigs he had this day.
0: He would count them every morning, Mengele, and order to know how many guinea pigs, quote-unquote, he had for that day. Now, as, as the video continues, she describes in detail, or somewhat in detail, what she and her sister went through, what experiments they carried out on her. They injected them with stuff, that, and they never knew, entire life, um, never knew about um, what it is that they were injected with. And the doctors in Israel, when her her sister... Uh, Died after her third child and they discovered that her liver, her sister's liver never grew beyond the size it was when she was 10, when she was in Auschwitz and the doctors were trying to get the sisters, these twins for them to obtain the files of what they were injected with and it would maybe help the doctors um, deal with them, heal them and they could never get it. They tried. They couldn't get their files. Her sister ultimately died um, soon thereafter. And um, and she continued on to live. The, she and her sister were separated for a two-week period. And um, that's probably what happened during those two weeks, whatever it was that they did to them. Anyway, now we... Um, Fast forward she there's another side story she tells about a Nazi doctor that also was in Auschwitz that she met Dr. Munch. She met him um, years later in Germany. He was uh, she says he was he was um, a very sad and guilt-ridden person who couldn't do enough to apologize to her and she asked him point blank. You were in Auschwitz. You were a Nazi. Did you see gas chambers? Did you see the crematorium? Did you see the killing? Did you see all that? And he he wit- he witnessed it and he he was ready to bear witness to testify so to speak to the world. He actually was stationed outside of the gas chambers and he would look through a peephole, saw the gas come down, saw the people in there struggling and ultimately falling and dying. And his job—it's just so crazy. His job, this doctor Munch, as a Nazi, his job was to write a death certificate. But they didn't go. They—they—they they, they, they weren't going to bother to write a death certificate for each person. So each shift, if you will, each group of Jews that was put in to the gas chambers and and died and was killed, murdered. He would write a death certificate, one death certificate for the whole group. And she um, had him write up a a, a letter testifying to this so that if anyone denies the Holocaust, she would have an eyewitness testimony. I don't think that would help because the deniers are going to deny no matter what. Their mind is set and made up and they're they're not so swayed by a letter of somebody. But anyway... And then, after a long circuitous route, these are all like side stories, she decides to see what it would be like, what she would feel like, if she changed her attitude and her perception of the Holocaust, of what she went through, and how she perceived Mengele and how she perceived herself all her life she perceived herself for 50 years she says as a victim and that was the obviously scar that she carried around with her and so she says that she um, went into a room and she imagined that in the room in her house there was sitting now in front of her Mengele she called him the make-believe Mengele in the room she walked into that room where the make-believe Mengele would be sitting. And here's uh, how she describes what happens next. And, and brace yourself.
3: I picked up a dictionary and wrote down 20 nasty words, which I read clear and loud to that make-believe Mengele in the room. And at the end, I said, in spite of all that, I forgive you made me feel very good that I, the little guinea pig of 50 years, even had the power over the angel of death of Auschwitz. I felt free, free from Auschwitz, free from Mangala. So now that I have forgiven him, I knew that most of the survivors, denounced me, and they denounce me today also. But what is my forgiveness? I like it. It is an act of self-healing, self-liberation, self-empowerment. All victims, all hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everybody to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is a tragic part, but we can change how we relate to it.
0: So what she says is, and this is the shocking part, that she sat, she imagined that Mengele was in her room, she picked 20 of the worst words that she can imagine, and she yelled at him, and then she said, and, and despite all that, I'm going to forgive you. And that's the shocking part. She, she, in her mind, in her consciousness, decided to forgive him. And by doing so, she let go. And she says, that's it. Auschwitz is behind me. Mengele is behind me. I feel free. I feel liberated. She felt that she, had, she was not a powerless victim anymore, but she had power now over Mengele. She could forgive him she had the power over the angel of death look everybody's got everybody can feel I I, I find it very hard to imagine that a Holocaust survivor get up and say I forgive Mengele but I'm not judging her and I don't think we can I think we have to be open to hearing her voice to hearing what she says other Holocaust survivors can criticize her and have criticized her but she says, this worked for me. She said, it, 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 what does it mean for me that I forgive him? I think what she was trying to say is, I don't know that I really forgive him, but but I let go of the whole thing. And by saying, I forgive you, I was able to let go of of that. It's uh, She called it self-healing, self-liberating, self-empowering, that she was no longer a victim, a powerless victim. She found something that gave her power over... Um, over Mengele. I I not 100 sure what to make of it. There are those who say um, you want to do that, do that, but not publicly. When you when you forgive him publicly, it doesn't do good for the Jewish nation, for the for the me- memory of uh, of the Holocaust victims. But um, who are we? We're, we're, uh, compared to the people who went through the Holocaust, who are we? And um, I want to share it. And, and I think because of what she did, and, and I think that's a very popular message in the general culture today, um, that's, I think, why her video went viral and has uh, three and a quarter million uh, views so far in, in the span of two weeks. And I just want to share it with you, and I did. And um It's food for thought for all of us of how we deal with things in life. As she said, we can change the things in our lives, and this is a message for all of us always, but we can change the attitude that we have toward them and how we view them and how we think about them. Okay, your thoughts, of course, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash theisraelshow. I'm going to post the entire video. As I said, it's a 15-minute video. With the entire story as it as it unfolded, she also describes there, and I didn't want to bring that in, in detail about what she went through. So it'll all be on that video, facebookcom Israel. If you don't have Facebook and you want to get it, you can email me mayor m e i r at nachumseigel.com. Mayor m e i r at nachumseigel s e g a l dot com. Here is uh, an oldie but goodie as we uh, start getting toward the uh, fall. Well, we're already in the fall, the autumn. The Chag HaAsif, the time of the year that we uh, bring our produce into the homes on Sukkot. Here's Ruach Stav, Gary Eckstein, going back a long way, title track of that album. My name is Mayor Weingart and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
4: Ruach da vel hadrach im shel yamim tovim umdim Feta ve'yonat miman oset anaf lemazalto ishle mi shle I <laughs> am Lo basta sta sherut yafe Lo basta
0: The Autumn Winds, Gary Eckstein off of uh, the album by the same name. It goes back to 1979. Link on our Facebook page after the show. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Our listener, Moshe, very active in our comments on the app, says, she only forgave a fictitious Mengele, Yamashmo, as a self-healing move. How can anyone get upset? Well, that, I guess, is the interpretation that I would see also, that she forgave this fictitious Mengele, but then there are those who say she just very publicly says, I forgave Mengele, and would take it literally. And, um... It's it's a subject for discussion. I think it's a fascinating... um, question that that is brought up and the question of how we uh, deal with it. If you're listening to us live or at some point during the day, Monday or Tuesday, before Sukkot, I'll uh, let you know that Mark Zamek has prepared a very special Arab Sukkot music presentation, which will start on Tuesday evening and continue... um, with the exception of the three hours of Jam and the A.M. on Wednesday morning, 6 to 9. We'll continue after that. Up until, I guess, Erev, uh, just about hog time. And you are all invited to listen at NachumSiegel.com and on the Siegel app. That's the most convenient way. Download the app if you haven't yet. You haven't downloaded the app? Are you serious? Well, no, I'm not talking to There's no one here. I'm talking to you, to the listeners. What do you mean you haven't downloaded the app? You need to do that right away. It's for iPhone, for Google, Android. Get it on their respective uh, stores online. Here is um, another B'Tset Yisrael Mitzrayim. Should we do that? I guess. Let's give that a shot. David De'or and Tomer Hadari. B'Tset Yisrael Mitzrayim. This is our second version for the day from the liturgy of uh, the uh, Yom Tov of Sukkot and others from the Hallel, from Tehillim originally, actually. <laughs> My name is Bear Wangart and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
5: I am a man whos <laughs> a man whos Mam man a man whos a man whos a man
0: David, the Tomer, Hadari, B'Tset Yisrael, Mimitraim right here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Wonga, and you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. So, Sukkot in Israel, what can I tell you? It is, I, I miss it so, it is the most joyous, most amazing time to be in Yerushalayim, in the Holy Land, in Yerushalayim specifically, it is just, what can I tell you? It's only when I'm forced to stay here in Chutz Laretz for the Chag which I am this year I would say that the majority of my years on earth I was in Yerish line for Sukkot big majority but there are times where you can't do it and it's almost like the holiday here is somewhat artificial you know there it's the real thing and uh, a few months ago I saw this um, Hatam Sofer Writing a few hundred years ago. A hundred something years ago, I should say, probably. Eighteen somethings. Commenting on the Gemara and Sukkot. So this can be found in the uh, Chidushim of the Khatam Sofer on Sukkala Medvav Amud Aleph. Not going to get into the whole context of of where this is coming, but basically the question is, when the Torah says... We say it in Kriyat Shema Every Day, that you should go out to the fields and gather in all the bounty. Those are the three main things, the sort of the bread, the wine, and the oil. And um, those are the three main staples that are repeated all over and over in the Torah. We've actually done a Meir Milim segment about it a while back. So he says that even, then there's a machloket. Does that mean that you don't study Torah and you go out into the field? How could that be? How could you leave the study of Torah? And there's a machloket in the Gemara, and he says that even the one who says, yes, you do go out to the field, you leave the study of Torah, he says, I believe that that's only in Chutz Laretz. In, uh, yes, in Eretz Israel. I'm sorry. That wouldn't apply in Chutzlarets. It only applies Yisrael, Yisrael when the majority of Jews are living there, which is true today. Sheha gufa, working the land itself, the agriculture in Eretz Yisrael, mitzvah. That in itself is a mitzvah. Mishum Yishu Eretz Yisrael is part of the mitzvah of inhabiting the land of Israel. vilahutzi pe'roteha hakadoshim. To, to um gather up to take out of the land the holy produce that the land uh brings forth and that's where the Torah commanded us to do this can you imagine a person would say i'm not putting on filling i'm not putting on tefillin today i I'm, I'm studying torah i don't want to be mivantal torah i don't want to not be studying every minute I can. If I put on tefillin, I'm going to be stopping my Torah study. Well, nobody says that. Why? Because you have obligations in addition to the study of Torah. You have obligations in addition to studying Torah. There are mitzvot. There are things that one needs to do. So you close the Gemara, you leave the bet Midrash, and you go to the fields and you gather the produce or whatever other things need to be done. <speaking in> ha <Hebrew> just like you don't say I'm not going to put on tefillin, ha lo yomar lo esof It's an obligation. Just like tefillin is an obligation. <speaking in Hebrew> he says maybe, not just agriculture, Anything. If we are going to inhabit the land of Israel and make it a thriving place where most Jews will live, it's not just agriculture. We need to have a country. We need to do the things that are required to have daily life. So you need a shoemaker, or you need, you know, in our day, you need computers, and and you need all the different things that are needed. High tech. And and you need people to to, to you need tailors or you or, or you need people that are going to bring in uh, um, clothing for, for sale. You need shopkeepers. These are all the things that make it possible to live a life in the land of Israel. they are part of the daily life, is the way I would say it. They're all part of this mitzvah of the asafta de but he says in <laughs> Chutz So this is the Khatam Sofer's uh, explanation and, and understanding that in Chutz La'aretz we, um, we we do differently. In Chutzlarets, according to him, we don't work and we just study Torah. Of course, there are other uh, understandings of that, but I think it was a very beautiful way that the Khatam Sofer put it. Okay, we, we, we're running late, so we got to end up the show. We're going to end up with Simcha L'Aretzecha, also from the Liturgy of the Chag. El Dad will bring us that Uh, cover of Ruf Shloyma Simcha but not before we say thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network and my very special thanks as always to Nachum Siegel. Coming up immediately after the Israel show on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollack with After Further Review, a new show covering the latest in the world of sports, followed by an encore presentation of Headlines with David Lichtenstein, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday which is Holomoid, I guess we'll be here, following JM in the AM. This is Mayor Wangart reminding you that ICE guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
6: So